Browns won last night, and that was a bit of a surprise. So Jordan Cohen is back as we break down what happened on this episode of the This Is Believe One podcast. Welcome back, Jordan. Hey, thanks for having me. This is, I, it's a victory Friday, and it's a happy birthday to you. So I'm I'm excited. It's a good day. Uh, well, well, thank you for the happy birthday. Uh, this was the first time that the Browns have won actually on my birthday in 20 years. Um, I actually looked up their record on my birthday, coming or you know on or near my birthday, you know games closer to than further from my birthday. Since they came back, they were nine and twelve. Okay. Since ninety nine, now it's ten and twelve, getting closer. Yeah, we're hitting five hundred soon. Yeah. So I, out of curiosity, I looked up what their record was from eighty eight to when they moved. They were seven mm-hmm. and two. Yep. There was there was that, one, that checks. There was one week where they had a Monday game and a Sunday game equally spaced with my birthday in the middle, so I had to count two games. So, <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'll take it. I uh, my grandfather is obviously a lifelong Browns fan, and he when Bill Belichick was here, he hated Bill Belichick, and so I was making fun of him, saying he was the reason we suck. That he complained so much about Bill Belichick that when Bill Belichick was gone and the new Browns emerged, it was cursed. We were cursed. God, those Belichick years with the Browns are so um, unfortunate because yeah. he was laying the right foundation and doing the groundwork. And at the time, Belichick was not, uh, I'll say, courteous to the local Cleveland media. Right. And uh, as we know who some of the local Cleveland media people are, um, and they were mad, and then essentially that that they turned on him, and that essentially led to fans turning on him as well. Because you know Belichick was like shutting them out and not cooperating with them, just like yeah, I'm not going to deal with you. I have a football game to prepare for, and right. they didn't like that. Right, and I actually think a reason why a lot of them loved Hugh Jackson for so long is Hugh Jackson was great with the media, mm-hmm. and, and so he talked. <laughs> for, yeah, he talked. He was friendly. Um, and so I think they were good. That's why they were so positive of him. And I remember when he got fired, there was, uh, I, I think, uh, Mike Silver at, uh, oh, God. yeah. I mean, and Mike Silver is basically, uh, before Hugh Jackson had a Twitter, it was basically Hugh Jackson's Twitter account. Yep. Yep. I mean, that, that feels like it checks to me. So yeah, I mean, I, hopefully it seems like Stefanski's good with the media. Um, mm-hmm. not too good. Like he doesn't reveal too much, but he seems good. Yeah, he, he does enough. It, it can be a little annoying at times, you know, whether it's him or Andrew Barry or Paul De Podesta. A lot of times they say a whole lot, but at the same time they don't say anything at all, and it's just kind of annoying. Yeah. Just yeah. that's just me, in my yeah. perspective no, I, on I it. I agree with you. It's like they say all these words, but they at the same time said nothing at all. Yep. So, yep. Exactly. Uh, let's get into last night's game. Uh, all right. I was very happy with the offensive game plan. Um, and I, I tweeted yesterday, if, the, if Baker Mayfield throws more than 20 times as a complete failure, he threw, what was it, 23 times last night? Yep. I'll, yep. I, yep uh, 23 times close enough to 20, in my opinion. Uh, it, yep, what that essentially means is that they ran the ball enough that the game was not in Baker's hands. Yep, Exactly. And, exactly. And they ran the ball a lot with Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. And Nick Chubb got more carries. Also good to see. Yeah. No, I, I thought, I, I mean, I, I really, and I tweeted this out 
the game plan last night, the offensive game plan, both obviously pregame but also during the game, was pretty much perfect in my mind. Mm-hmm. There were a few things here or there. So I know we disagreed on this. I, I liked the fourth down run call, and I think it was the third quarter. Yeah. Um, I, the problem for me was none of those four. I, I get the ones using a heavy set and running up the middle, mm-hmm. but I would have preferred Kareem Hunt on that play first off. Mm-hmm. Secondly, if you're going to do it twice, then you got to at least have a threat for some sort of play action or passing yes. or quarterback roll out and run, walk right into the end zone, mm-hmm. something like that. And they just didn't really do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so while I don't have a problem with calling, going for it on fourth down, I, I do have a bigger problem. Like, so that series I didn't love. And then there was another play in the first half where I think we ended up, it was the one time the Browns punted in the first half, I mm-hmm. think, where just it felt like the drive, they didn't really have kind of a set goal for the drive and gained like 20 yards and then punted it. Yeah. But otherwise it was perfect. It, and it's going to need to be perfect. It, yeah, it's going to need to be perfect. Uh, going back to the, the fourth down, I said they would have kicked, I said they should have kicked the field goal. Um, it, it's mostly because. I've seen the Browns fail so many times in the history. I know you can't be like, oh, that happened in the past. That doesn't count. I've literally watched the Browns fail in that exact same scenario 10,000 times. And right. this was a moment in time where, it, you know, field goal, extend the lead a little bit, put a little bit more pressure on the Bengals. Uh, in the end, everything worked out because uh, strip sack and a touchdown. But just at that moment in time, isolating and focusing on that specific play and a chance to put more points on the board with the defense and the, I guess, issues that they have, I wouldn't have been opposed to increasing the lead. Right. So here's my kind of view on the situation. And I, I think it was probably similar with Stefanski, um, which is that you have a new kicker who has a history of missing easy field goals, but let's <laughs> ignore that for a second. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even if Cody Parkey makes the field goal, then you're trusting your special teams again Mm -hmm. to not give up a ton of yards on the kickoff. And then you're giving it to your defense. Again, probably no no better than the 20, 25-yard line. Mm -hmm. Um, And the Bengals were tearing apart the defense. I felt much more comfortable with our defensive line being able to play a big role if the Bengals were at the one-yard line. And so for me, it kind of was, I I did not think we would get the turnover there, but I did think the reason, part of the reason they did that is that it put the defense in a much better position to not give up a touchdown. Mm -hmm. Um, It worked out even better than expected, right? Like you don't just like people saying that, oh, the strip sacks, why you do that? That's not true. And I I tweeted, this is why you go for it on fourth down. I did not mean because we got a strip stack. I meant because, like, just strategically, mm-hmm. it put your defense in a better position to succeed if you missed, if you didn't convert. Um, it did not feel like one of those Hugh Jackson, Hugh Jackson or Freddie Kitchens, like, fourth and one at their own 30-yard line. Mm-hmm. It did not feel like a fake punt from the week before. To me, it felt like a very strategic decision. Yeah, and that's fair. You know, you know looking back on it now, uh, you know, I, I get it. I understand why they did what they did. It all worked in the end. It was just in, in the moment I was thinking, sure. get some points, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, and I mean, in reality, even if they go for the field goal and they make the field goal, game result outcome is probably more or less the same. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so it was a call that a lot of people are going to talk about that we're talking about that probably in the grand scheme of things didn't make too much of a difference. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, and to your point, Cody Parkey, notable for missing field goals, uh, doinked two before the game started in warm-ups. So. Three. Three? It three. was three? It was three. <laughs> I three was the, the third started. one. I only heard about two. Well, so when they signed him, there was somebody on Twitter that was like, Cody Parkey's actually one of the best uh, place kickers in the NFL. Like, he does oh. a really good job just not kicking returnable kicks. Oh, but okay. his kickoffs were awful yesterday. I was like, oof. The, the the Bengals had their way in, in the kick return game. And the the Browns' uh, kick coverage team was pitiful last night. It was bad. And, and yeah. to, to, a part, to a point, some of it was Cody Parkey's kicks were not great. But at the same time, they were running right through uh, the coverage team. Yeah, I mean, it's like what I said to my stepdad last night while we were watching this game is that it's a little bit like when you watch like a soccer match and one team is just defending incredibly wide and there's just these massive holes mm-hmm. in the defense. That's what our special teams looked like. Yeah. I, I was like, there, there's no like narrowness at all. We just gave them enormous holes. Yeah. And so <clears throat> I, I guess not trusting Cody Parker with a field goal. Fine. Considering he apparently doinked three, I only thought it was two, but three. Yeah. Um, is there anything you didn't like from last night? Um, in terms of the offensive game plan, not really. I, I thought it was pretty perfect. In terms of the game plan overall and how the game was played, there are a few things. Okay. Um, so, one, and, and you and I said we were going to talk about this. I, I think people are having a way too large positive reaction to how Baker played last night. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying Baker played bad. Mm-hmm. I'm saying on the 16 completions he had, my guess is 13. He did not need to read past his second read or past his check down, mm-hmm. um, which is fine. That's good offensive play calling. There were He made a few good passes where he did have to, like in the first half, the pass to Kadero Hodge was his third read. I thought that was really well done. Yeah. Um, but on the one play where he, Harrison Bryant is the first read Harrison Bryant's open. Mm -hmm. And then on the right side, I think it was Teller that got beat Mm -hmm. and Baker was about to face pressure. So he rolled around Mm -hmm. because he saw space for Bryant before the pressure came and then he just threw it without actually looking at where the safety was. Uh, and that's why you had the interception. Whereas to his right, he had a check down. I forgot. I think it was probably Kareem Hunt. I don't remember for sure. More but, than likely it was. Yeah. But, but like to me, that was just that play was in one sense a one off. Like it was obviously his worst throw of the night. Mm-hmm. But I think kind of more important than that is that it leaves room for doubt at Baker's ability to make these quick adjustments. And, there were some of those passes, like the intentional grounding, that just happened because he didn't read, he, he didn't read the field correctly. Yeah. Um, and I, so I'm worried about that. I think Washington will be a test because of how good their defensive line is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think obviously you have the Colts and then the Cowboys. Like Baker's going to get tested the next few weeks. Yeah. So if you want, let's talk about that first. Like, what are your thoughts on Baker? Uh, well, you know, we kind of messaged before uh, we were talking today, and I, I said, 
and we basically agreed upon it was basically more of a, a scheme success than a Baker success. Um, yep. It was the fact that these players were schemed open, and in you know I posted something earlier today in my observations. Um, throwing to an open receiver is the bare minimum requirement to be an NFL quarterback. You threw to the right. open receiver, congratulations. Right. Uh, he didn't do anything spectacular. Uh, he wasn't great in the second half either, passing. He was 2 of 12. Yeah. So that wasn't great. Um, but, you know, throwing to the open receiver, you know, golf clap, congratulations. Um, but, you know, that was something he hasn't done in the past either. So I guess that's a step in the right direction, a bit of an improvement. Yep. But I'm not going to sit here banging the drum, being like, Baker's back, he's the guy he was as a rookie. I'm like, he he did what was asked of them to do. It, there it, was one play that reminded me of his rookie year where he threw a receiver open. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was in the second half. He was getting pressure. I forgot what drive this was. I think it was a drive where it ended in interception, okay. but he was getting pressure. It was a, it, it looked like rollout was an option. He starts rolling out and then he sees Jarvis and he actually threw Jarvis open on that play. Yeah. But that, I guess maybe you could consider the Odell pl- touchdown also one where he threw Odell open, but I mean, Odell uh, one-on-one. Against uh, Odell burned whatever. the guy. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I don't think that counts, but I do think the Landry pass counts. Um, but I think you're right, right? Like throwing receiver or, Throwing to an open receiver, it's an improvement, um, but it's not exactly what you need mm-hmm. uh, at this level. Like, you need a little bit more. Yeah, you, you really do. And it's just, you know, what I So I'm like, okay, cool. Hit the open receiver. He's, he's moving the chains. Awesome. Um, at, at some point, he's going to have to throw to a receiver that's not wide open. And right. th- that's that's where you get into trouble. Uh, you know, there was the, the interception he threw down the field. That was just... That looked more like a play that we saw last week than we would have saw this week. Uh, you know, pressure comes, yeah. he gets a little bit panicked and just heaves it and easily picked off. I mean, he he had tunnel vision on that throw. If yeah. he thought that, that well, was going to be Well, the frustrating thing is, had he just thrown it as the pressure was coming, mm-hmm. Harrison Bryant would have had it in wide open space. Yeah. Like, the play scheme actually was a phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Like, it was a really well-designed play. Baker just flubbed it when pressure hit. Yeah. Can we talk about scheme and offensive philosophy for a second? Yeah. Because um, completely night and day between Thursday and Sunday, what what happened? Yep. So in the win last night and the loss on Sunday, it's not like they, this is a situation going into next week where there was 10 days and they could install a whole bunch of new stuff and do all these other things. That's what makes last Sunday's loss so frustrating, is because... It's not like they had a whole bunch of time to introduce a whole bunch of different concepts, philosophies, plays, formations. They roughly had the same amount of information, same amount of offensive install today or yesterday as they did on Sunday. And that's kind of frustrating from my perspective because it seems like Stefanski sort of panicked in the Baltimore game compared to last night. It just seems like they simplified it last night. Like, the they, Browns didn't run that many different plays. They used a lot of different formations, but mm-hmm. they ran running back counter, running back counter with the uh, guard as the lead, kind of, he, like, who flipped over to the other side on the zone. Yeah. Um, they ran a lot of stretch plays and a lot of just pure outside zone plays, pure wide zone plays, and then they ran, like, the same play action with one receiver running straight down the field and then others doing things in the middle of the field. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it 
my they just ran the same play with small variations out of a lot of different formations. And I don't know if what happened last week was that, I mean, as we talked about, there was stuff reported that they did keep some of the stuff from kitchens offense last year, just to like have some continuity while they learned new offense. I think that stuff just failed against Baltimore. And so I wonder was the decision like, you know what, let's try just running the simple stuff against Cincinnati. And if it doesn't work, it's on us, but we can't keep doing this like massive playbook thing. And I think it worked. Um, mm-hmm. I, I also don't think we should necessarily stop doing that because look at the Rams the year they made the Super Bowl. And, and this, I think, points to what Kevin Stefanski is going to need to be. Where Sean McVay really, like, there's a playbook analysis on Amazon. You can get it like for 99 cents on a Kindle about the Rams playbook that season. Mm-hmm. And they didn't run that many different plays. I think with plays and formation together, I think they ran like 150-some different plays, which if you think about it, really is not that much. It's not. Uh, Because you can run the same play out of 12 different formations. Mm -hmm. So I think that that is what Stefanski should try to have this year. I think Stefanski also needs to be Sean McVay, uh, where Stefanski is telling Baker exactly the play and exactly what to look for before the headset goes out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree, I agree with that. But it's while the success from last night is encouraging, it just made, in my opinion, made Sunday's loss that much more frustrating. It feels like they weren't prepared. It, so it doesn't actually feel to me like they were prepared for either game really well. No, they weren't. <laughs> um, but I think part of that is just the nature of the four-day break because the Bengals did not look prepared for either of their games either. Like, I think... That's just the nature of it, nature of the beast. Mm-hmm. It did feel like we had an identity last night. Yes. And it did not feel like we had an identity on Sunday. And that identity, straight up, is Nick Chubb. Yeah. Nick Chubb with a little bit of a cream hut mixed in uh, and some play action passes. Well, the last podcast you and I did, I said if the Browns ran the ball 40 to 45 times every game, I would be ecstatic. Yeah. This has not changed my opinion of that at all. Yeah. I mean, the the reason why they had success is because of this was the running game. You know, Baker's success in the in the passing game is 100% related to he didn't have to throw it as much. Well, look at Ryan Tannehill last season and this season, right? Mm-hmm. Ryan Tannehill is not a phenomenal quarterback. He's fine. He is, I think, probably where Baker, around Baker's, like, lower median kind of outcome is. Mm-hmm. Um doesn't really throw receivers open. He's mobile. He's not super mobile. But what happened with Tennessee last year is they used the same scheme where you run, 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 and linebackers start biting on the run, and then you have easy play action passes because the middle of the field is wide open. Mm-hmm. And I think that, for me, that is what we're going to need to have this year, right? Where Baker sometimes, like once, twice a game, really makes a play by himself but more often than not, just kind of works within the offense. Yeah. Uh, there was one thing I found very interesting were the, the very wide and elongated rollouts in, in the offense. Yeah. Um, they worked against the Bengals. Yeah. Bengals don't have a good defense. Not sure if that's going to work against the Ravens or Steelers. 
Uh, it won't work against the Ravens. I have more faith against the Steelers because the Steelers just suck against this scheme. Um, like they're just they are, hist- they are really bad at outside zone runs. Mm-hmm. Pittsburgh's whole strategy is we're going to prevent the deep throw, and we're going to prevent you from running up the middle. And if you want to take your chances running to the sideline, have at it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have less worry about the rollouts against the Steelers, at least in terms of like Baker getting hit. It was but, more of uh, pressure coming off the edge, uh, forcing him right. out of, you know, where he, right. you know, where everything is perfect and he's supposed to be going, uh, you know, having to evade a blitz. It, that's right. that's where my concern lies is because, yeah. a, as we know, that's where those teams succeed in is, is setting pressure off the edge and catching, yep. catching offenses by surprise. And as we are aware, if Baker feels pressure, then he does things he shouldn't be doing. Right. And so to be fair, two games in, which is how, you know, you can make career evaluations easily. <laughs> Jedrick Wills has been clearly the best tackle taken since Joe Thomas. Um, and, and while I'm over exaggerating, obviously yeah. he's played a great two games and I don't see anything that makes me think it will be other than that. But mm-hmm. I mean, if he has 50 snaps and gives up one sack or pressure, that sacker pressure is still important. That's not on Wills. Like, that's just what you would expect. Yeah. But Baker's got to know how to deal with that. Mm-hmm. And, no, I think you're right. I think our interior offensive line is not going to be the problem as long as everybody's healthy, which is a big if. I, I think it's still going to be, like, a team like the Ravens is just going to overload the edges. Mm-hmm. Okay. Th- that's what they're going to do. They're going to overload the edges. And... Baker's going to need to figure out how to deal with that. I think Washington's going to do that. I actually think this is why I keep saying the Washington game is really important because I think it will show us a lot. Yeah, we'll have a a good idea of what their offense is, how Stefanski makes any changes or, you know, caters the the game plan to that specific game. Mm -hmm. But... I don't think it should change all that much. It should be pretty much what we saw last night. But again, success against the Bengals doesn't mean success against anybody else. Right, exactly. And, like, it's funny. Everybody was saying how great Joe Burrow looks. And Joe Burrow looked really good. Don't mm-hmm. get, like, he looked great. Did he exceed that your expectations? Off- um, He exceeded my expectations because I did not think he would come in this good, nor do I think he will be a phenomenal pro. I still have questions about that mm-hmm. because he doesn't really have a strong arm. Like, and, but to me, part of the problem that the Bengals had is it was dink and dunk. Mm-hmm. Like, but it, it was dink and dunk that the Browns were willing to give up, right? Like, mm-hmm. dink and dunk to the edges where our linebackers aren't guarding the players. Fine. I thought that first drive where Burrow beat uh, Tavarius Thomas, who, like, to be fair, He's like the sixth string cornerback. Yeah, he, he, he wouldn't he be played playing. fine. He played fine for what he had to do. Yeah. But where Burrow beats him three times on basically a slant route, mm-hmm. I was like, they're going to do this all game. And for whatever reason, they stopped. Yeah, I have no idea why they didn't stop. I was impressed with Burrow. Uh, he seemed to not really be bothered all that much by the defense. There, there were a couple plays, you know, they were rookie mistakes. He's a rookie. It's a second career game. It's in prime time. It's only a few days after his first game, but he looked every bit the part and is advertised, in my opinion. Yes and no. I, 
I, I think you're right, right? Like rookie mistakes. And but I think the other thing there, and we see this with Baker too. It is very difficult to evaluate rookie quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. It, it's just it's very difficult um, because they make mistakes that you don't know if they're going to be career problems, yeah. right? I think Burrow holds onto the ball sometimes too long. Is that because he's a rookie and is just reading the defense slower? Or is it because like that's going to be a problem for his career? I think Burrow doesn't really know how to get significant yardage with his arm strength. Mm-hmm. Is that something that could he could be taught? Or is that something that's a career problem? <clears throat> I mean, Matt Stafford kind of entered the same way, right? Like yeah. everybody loved Matt. Or not Matt Stafford, Matt Ryan. Well, it's Stafford too. Yeah. Like he enters, like the, they both enter as these great, great prospects. Mm-hmm. And they both have become really great, in Matt Ryan's case, sometimes amazing quarterbacks. But it took time. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where I feel about Burrow. I, I think we really won't know how good Burrow is until year three. Yeah, and that's that's a, that's an accurate and fair assessment there. It, it, was, it was just like the little things I saw from him. Yeah. It just it, it, it impressed me, and it's it's something I've seen from other franchise quarterbacks, yeah. you know, over, you know, time and time again. Whether it's someone like a, a Tom Brady or an Aaron Rodgers or Peyton Manning, it's just like the little the little things, the posture, the the body language. There was a couple times he just made a little couple flip passes on a dink and dunk. I'm like, I've yep. seen the the best quarterbacks in the league do this forever. Not that I'm saying yeah. he's at the level of those guys. It's just something that I've seen from other quarterbacks that have had very long and successful careers. Absolutely, yeah. He has composure. Like mm-hmm. he is, he's really composed, and I think that's good. I don't think Zach Taylor did him any favors last night. No. Um, I was kind of confused by how much they threw the ball and like the lack of Joe Mixon involvement. Right. I mean, I, I, I'm happy because I made the decision not to start Joe Mixon in fantasy because I couldn't do that to the Browns. So I started <laughs> Nick Chubb and Odell Beckham. And clearly I'm just a genius at fantasy. Um, <laughs> no, I, I had no idea. I thought Mixon was going to tear through our defense. And like on some of those handoffs, he kind of did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was weird to me. I agree. I, I, I didn't understand that from, uh, you know, just I'm like, the Browns defense isn't good. Like, let's let's be real here. Their their best like run defensive lineman Vernon wasn't was inactive. Yeah, I mean to be fair, there's no way the Bengals could have been prepared for defensive MVP MVP Porter Gustin. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean Porter Gustin's you know he's a solid rotational guy. That's that's what he is, and that's that's fine. And, and you know he he stepped in uh, for you know Adrian Claiborne and. And that's fine. We'll have to monitor that situation going forward. But uh, the defense looked bad last night. Let's put it that way. Um, Burrow threw for over 300 yards and three touchdowns. They sacked him three times, but completion percentage wasn't Burrow's friend last night either. But 300 yards is 300 yards. Let's, Let's be real here. Right, and he should not have had to throw 60 times. I think that was a little ridiculous. Again, I don't think Zach Taylor did him any favors. Mm-hmm. I actually think our defense looked worse last night than it did against the Ravens, that's... and that's terrifying to me. I, I know <laughs> we have so many injuries, so I acknowledge, like, when Greedy and Kevin Johnson come back and Rodney Harrison has more time in the system, maybe it will be, maybe it'll be better. 
But, like, you and I have been saying this all summer. Mm -hmm. You have no defensive depth, which means one or two injuries and your entire defense falls apart. Mm -hmm. And that's that's what happened. That's what that's what we're seeing. And and it's the fact that they got relatively carved up by a rookie quarterback making his second start doesn't it means that this defense is maybe worse than we thought it was. But it ought to, at the same time, it takes all the people saying, well, we played the Ravens. Of course they're going to destroy our defense. It, it makes it a little bit more of a sense of urgency, I guess, when it comes to the defense. Well, and I, I mean, to be fair, I think Rodney Harrison just doesn't really know the scheme yet. Mm-hmm. I do think he's a really good safety. I think when he learns the scheme, then you can bench Sandejo. Please, for but, the love like, of God. <laughs> yeah, no, I know, right? But, but I, I mean, again, it gets to the point. And you and I have been saying this all summer. There is no depth. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, one adjustment they made in the second half is they switched Ward and Terrence uh, Mitchell to man coverage instead of zone. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really smart. Yeah. Uh, that, that was really smart because it basically let them keep Denzel Ward or Terrence Mitchell on A.J. Green at all times. Mm-hmm. And, and A.J. Green didn't do a whole lot last night. Denzel Ward was phenomenal. Yeah, Denzel Ward is is it's it's the it's the the defensive lineman in Denzel Ward, and it's basically like grab bag with everybody else on the defense. Right, and I just don't like. You cannot convince me Sion Takitaki is an NFL linebacker. I, I I want to believe in him, but the the more I see, the less I like. We, we drafted this guy because he was supposed to be a great tackler. He just needed to learn everything else. He must have missed two or three tackles last night. He's not an NFL linebacker. If his best skill doesn't translate, he shouldn't be playing. Yeah, Taki Taki's not great. Um, before we get back to the linebackers, is, is Sendejo like the least popular Browns player in recent memory? Yeah, I mean, so the problem again, Sendejo's a backup, right? He's a backup <laughs> nickel safety, which is fine. Like, mm-hmm. you need a backup nickel safety. He is our starting, like, starting, starting safety. <laughs> and to me, that is just, like, he tries. He gives A for effort, like, to give him credit. He's not, he's not failing because he's not trying. He just, he's slow and not good. I mean, because he, he got he got beat a lot against Baltimore. Uh, he didn't look again didn't look good again last night. Uh, he had the penalty. Yeah. I'm trying to think of a player that has been at this level of unpopular in recent memory, and I'm struggling to think of one. Um, oh no, he's terrible. Uh, Desmond Harrison, maybe. That's a blast from the past. I forgot that name. That's a good call. Yeah, we had so many of those guys, dude. Like, there, there have just been so many of these guys. <laughs> he's probably about on par with Desmond Harrison in terms of unpopular. Yeah. I just remember That's there was a, a call. there was a play with Desmond Harrison where he like ju- like jumped and like leapt at mm-hmm. somebody trying to make a block. It's just like, what are you doing? Yep, I remember that. Yep, that might have been one of his last plays that he uh, had for the Browns. I think that was the Pittsburgh game too. <laughs> it might have been because that was. Uh, that, because I remember, uh, I don't remember him playing much after that, and that was when we saw the uh, <laughs> the last of Greg Robinson. Uh, yes. Uh, in in Cleveland, but 
Uh, back to the linebackers. Uh, not seeing anything uh, worth a shit there. Uh, just going to be blunt and say it. Yeah, I don't... I, I mean... I, I, And I don't know what their kind of answer to this is going to be. I know they're saying like they, they signed those undrafted free agents and that... Or, or just kind of free agents are released, and when they get the system, they'll get in there. But, like, I feel bad for B.J. Goodson, right? B.J. Goodson's at being asked to direct this defense. And, like, again, B.J. Goodson tries really hard, and he actually made some good plays last night. But B.J. Goodson is not, cannot be your best linebacker. No. <laughs> uh, he can't. And everybody's like, oh, well, Mac Wilson's coming back. Yeah, I don't know that Mac Wilson is fixing any of the problems we have right now. He- He's not. I mean, Mac Wilson, the, the difference between someone like B.J. Goodson and Mac Wilson is that uh, Mac Wilson's younger and has upside. Uh, Goodson does not. Yeah, no. And, and I think Mac Wilson also is generally better in coverage, which they're probably looking for. But I, again, I just don't. I mean, for the we kept getting told this defense isn't going to play a lot of linebackers. There were a lot of linebackers on the field yesterday. Mm-hmm. It's like, what is it, right? They, they is it were... we're not going to play a lot of linebackers? Because I get the problem, right? You, you didn't have any corners or safeties left. They were all hurt. The, but I remember a lot of linebackers in week one, too, but I might be mistaken. Yeah. No, no, you're right. There were. I mean, I... Let's see. I got the, it's got the snap count here. Uh, yeah. BJ Goodson played every single down. Mm-hmm. Do, 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 do. Malcolm Smith played 61%. Tiaki Taki played 45%. He actually wasn't bad. I thought Malcolm Smith looked decent out there. Uh, yeah, so you, a lot of linebacker play. Yeah, uh, And right? we, were, we were told the complete opposite. Uh, uh, shout out Goodson playing all 92 snaps, uh, by the way. Uh, yeah, kind I, of impressive. I, I, people, I think people are being harsh on him for yesterday. Like, if he really played 100% of the snaps and... On those 92 snaps, he made 10 mistakes. It's not great, but, like, he also played 92 snaps. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know what, what more you really want. Yeah. Uh, this is a lot uh, of snaps and just... Uh, I'm going to say... I'm not going to say concerning, but it's just... It's not... We we're told what this defense was going to be. And... Yeah. Because we heard, you know, oh, they're going to play big nickel all the time. They're going to do this. And it's like, if they think that's going to work, good for them. Uh, I don't think it will. But, you know, that's it's not on me to to make that uh, well, decision. And, and Right. It, this is Joe Woods, right? I mean, this is what Joe Woods kind of historically does. And Joe Woods is supposed to be really good at in-game adjustments. And I think last night like switching the two cornerbacks to man coverage was smart. And I think that is a testament to that. And I get that they're very injured, but a lot of that defense with the multiple linebackers feels like it's base defense. Like, and Mm -hmm. I don't mean base, like, Oh, it's our four, three. I mean, like, it looks like those are going to be how we play that defense throughout the season. And to me, that's, what's a little concerning. That is concerning because, uh, if they had, I guess better linebacker play wouldn't be concerning, but right. It, I, I know the the biggest uh, one of the bigger uh, 
discussions and, uh, I guess, divisive subjects about uh, Brown's Twitter over this past offseason was the decision to get rid of Schobert and Kirksey, but if, um, if they're running this many linebackers, maybe they should have kept them. Yeah, right. I mean, that's kind of my view, too, is that I thought for the system they wanted to go, I was okay with them not re-signing Schobert and Kirksey. I also like fully acknowledge Mac Wilson and Jacob Phillips have gotten hurt. Uh, Ronnie Harrison doesn't know the system yet. Grant Telfit's out for the season. Yeah. You have two cornerbacks that are out. Like, I get there are limits, but if they're going to be using three linebackers on every play or, like, two linebackers in Sendejo, who at this point might as well be a linebacker anyways. Yeah. That's not that's not going to be the answer. I did think Carl Joseph looked all right last night. He was fine. Um, I don't remember anything, you know, you know, extremely bad or you know. He had the one pass interference, but other than that, I thought he looked pretty good. I mean, I expect him to make a pass interference or defensive yeah. holding penalty every game. So yeah, yeah. Uh, he's small, physical. Like that's going to happen. See, it's like Miles Garrett with offsides. Yeah, found the snap count from week one. Taki Taki played 92% of the plays, Goodson 83, Malcolm Smith 32, Phillips 20. Whew. A lot of linebackers. A lot of linebackers. A lot of play. linebackers. Um, yeah. Uh, ooh, something interesting I want to look up while I have this up for this week. It is the legend known as Richard Higgins, five plays. <laughs> he, he, I mean, Kadero Hodge actually looks. <laughs> Like a serviceable player, and I've not seen one group of fans rate their player higher compared to the rest of the world as Browns fans and Rashard Higgins. I'm so I'm just is are we seeing the phase out of Rashard Higgins? Is that what's happening right now? Because I please was he ever phased in? (laughs) People have been trying to make Rashard Higgins happen for the past two years uh, because like. What do you have, like 30 catches as a in Baker's rookie year, however the hell it was? And yeah. Five plays this week. Uh, what did he play last week? Let's see. And they passed a hell of a lot more. 16 last week. But I you adjusted say, for how much they passed, that's probably more or less the same percentage of snaps. Yeah. So, I mean... Are, are, are we done here with Higgins? Can we stop? Well, my favorite thing on Twitter last night I saw is like just imagine this Browns offense with when Njoku's back and Higgins is more used to playing in Jesus, it. Jesus, no. Like, I'm like, first off, if you watch Harrison Bryant and uh, Hooper last night, Njoku's not getting back on the field. But yeah. They looked really good. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he's not getting back. And Yanovich, too, looked really good. So yeah. it, he's not getting on the field. Second, Kadero Hodge at least like gives the Browns a big target. Mm-hmm. Like he 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 takes up space. Rashard Higgins is not playing unless there's an injury to one of these receivers. Kadero Hodge takes up space in the in the good way. Higgins takes up right, space right, in the exactly. bad way. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> fair point, fair point. Exactly. But geez, if we just move on from these two people as as <laughs> soon as possible, I will be much, much happier. Hey. I maybe trade him as a group package. Be like, listen, I know you guys watch these guys and you think they're terrible. Go to Brown's Twitter. And then then you'll know how good they are. Yeah, see, like, maybe that's the pitch. Actually, you're wrong, and here's why. Check out our Twitter feed. 
Uh, go to <laughs> people using very small sample sizes and absurd statistics that mean yeah. absolutely nothing to tell you how great Rashard Higgins is. Yeah, I know. It's it's unbelievable. Browns fans love this guy. It would be fine if he was like, you know, a, a cult hero type player who was you know consistently like that same guy. Like if he was like the Matthew Delavadova of the Browns, right? Okay. Right. This guy's more like, I don't know. Uh, Jordan McRae. Yeah, there we go. Jordan McRae, or I was going to say uh, when we had, like, Kendrick Perkins for a year. Yep, yep, exactly. Exactly. It, they're, they're useless. Yep, exactly. 100% agreed. Those two not, or, you know, Njoku not being here, I think, uh, for this week was highly beneficial. I don't know about you. Oh, my God. Well, and again... I mean, I've been saying this all summer. Harrison Bryant is good, mm-hmm. and I know he wasn't make he didn't make a lot of like catches yesterday, but he did what he was go back to and do. watch his blocking. He was unreal blocking, mm-hmm. unreal. He's going to be good, uh, mm-hmm. and I think Austin Hooper is going to be good for us. Like those two know what they're doing. I, I don't see a pathway for Njoku to get back on the field, or at least in a. Uh enough to make a sizable impact on a game right right he may get in in these like specialized formations especially on the goal line it's like a play action target Mm -hmm. yeah like beyond that if he catches those one yard passes that middle schoolers can cool right right i think that's what they're gonna use him for um beyond that i think he's done which is great news like like this coaching staff i think like I think in terms of like building a roster on offense that they liked, I think they've really kind of done a nice job. Given like the time, right? They've had one off season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they've been they've been doing a a, a decent enough job offensively. Defensively is a completely different story. Um, yeah. What was I guess one thing that stood out to you as a, a a sustainable sign of progress do you think last night the play calling and the scheming and the run game specifically i I mean that's what we saw from minnesota last year Mm -hmm. and it was pretty much identical to what we saw except nick chubb is definitely better than dalvin cook who i think is a good running back and i think kareem hunt also is probably as good as dalvin cook so i think stefanski's in heaven right now Mm mm-hmm and I think Stefanski's going to continue to learn how best to use those two together and in, like, what situations. And that's going to be really useful. I, I mean, so I think that's going to be sustainable. How about you? Running game. I think the running game's sustainable. That is me, the, the heart and soul of this team. Yep. Uh, the, when you think of iconic Browns players, iconic, you know, Browns teams... You think of Jim Brown, Ernest Biner, Kevin Mack. You think of, you know, uh, Bernie Kosar, uh, maybe Otto Graham, if you want to go all the way back to the 40s, but it's it's mostly running backs. That's the the history of the team, is success with the running back position. If you don't have one, they, they haven't been good, even though, to be fair, they've had good ones and still been terrible. Right, right. No, and I, I think that... For us to use this offense appropriately, we need the linebackers biting on the running game. Mm-hmm. Because you're, you're eventually going to need to pass. 
right? Yeah. And so we need the linebackers to be playing the running game. And what the coolest thing I thought about yesterday were the first two plays were both play action passes that were successful. And I think a very large part of that is because Cincinnati already was playing the run game. Mm-hmm. And Stepanski basically used play action on the first two plays to get the linebackers to play the pass. And then we just dominated that drive. So I thought that was really well done. Is there something that concerns you moving forward about the team? I mean, we talked about Baker. I, I'm still not convinced about Baker. Uh, we talked about the defense. I am not convinced that even with everybody healthy, it's going to look better. I, I think my maybe... The, the concern that I'm most worried about was Cincinnati's defensive adjustments. Now, mm-hmm. Andy Yenovich is right. The Browns could have run for 400 yards yesterday. Yeah. Um, but Cincinnati clearly made defensive adjustments to the passing defense in the second half. And, I mean, even just writing off Baker's interception as a mulligan, it clearly did a little bit. Like, those adjustments worked. And part of me thinks they just send another guy out in the coverage. I would need to look more, but it points to my concern, which is that when coverage gets more complex, Baker does not find the open receiver quickly. Yeah. And that's a worry. Mm-hmm. That, that's, that is concerning. Um, it, it would be... It'd be more encouraging if you saw him play a complete game well. Right. Because he he played a half well. Maybe you want, you want to say three quarters, he played three quarters well. I mean, even overall, like, I don't think, like, overall he had a bad game. But to me, the per- right, as you're saying, like, when there's an adjustment, how does he adjust? Yeah, it's, it's about being able to adjust the adjustment. I don't know if he can do that. Right. Or at least right. do it and have it be successful. Right. And we need to see that. And... I don't know that Washington's going to be the week we see that, but I think starting with Indy, who have a really good defensive kind of structure, I know it wasn't great week one, but they have a good defensive coordinator. Frank Reich is just historically, even though he's offensive coordinator, he he likes building that defense over the past few years. So I think that that will be a challenge. Depends if Dallas is hurt or not the week after, but... I imagine they could make some good defensive adjustments. So I think we'll see a lot the next few weeks. I mean, my thing is if the Browns can go two and two in their next four games, mm-hmm. that'll be great. I'll be perfectly happy with that. Yeah, that'd be a great step in the right direction. Um, the one final topic, because we've got to talk about it, is Odell. Yeah. Um, because doesn't matter what day of the week it is. It's an Odell topic or topic of discussion. He had the great pass down the, uh, or a great touchdown catch, 43-yarder. Uh, outside of that, three catches, 31 yards on six. Yeah, targets. I mean, I actually thought he played, I thought he played pretty well. I, I thought he played well too, but um, completely different game plan when it came to throwing the ball to Odell last Oh, night. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, no. I thought it was much better. Yeah. Uh, even though Baker wanted to deny force-feeding the ball to Odell last week, we're not dumb. We're not blind. We knew he was force-feeding the ball to Odell last week against the Ravens. Right. Um, right. And the Ravens knew that, too. <laughs> yeah, they did. 
but Odell played better this week than he did last week. Of course, highlight play. Um, I was surprised by the lack of targets for Jarvis Landry, honestly. Uh, so I think that actually was Cincinnati had him double teamed on a lot of different possessions where you could see it on at least on the TV. Uh, mm-hmm. my, I think Cincinnati basically was like, let's have Baker force feed Odell again. And that's that's what they should do. That's what a defense should do. I mean, because right. I think the, the two most consistent and productive offensive pieces on the team are Jarvis Landry and Nick Chubb. You I agree. One for the running game, one for the passing game. Um, so if you can take one of them away, it'll help, I guess, in that. If you can take both away, even better uh, from a defensive standpoint. But... Odell played well, and that is I, I, it's a good sign because what we didn't see is the same poor body language. Right. And same, you know, he looked like he checked out uh, against the Ravens, like, pretty yep. early in that game. Yep. Well, and what I will say about Odell, after that touchdown, the Bengals moved the linebacker over. And mm-hmm. so then the safety moved to double Odell. And I that makes it easier to run the ball. Yeah. So just having Odell on the field where he is a threat, right? So he catches the touchdown. He's a threat. Makes it even easier to run the ball. It does. And um, I, I know that having you know the threat of Odell is great, but the, the thing is that teams are going to make them actually complete passes to Odell. Right. And, and right. As, no, I mean, that's a big if. Yeah, and, and it's if. It's an if on the, the part of the quarterback. It's an if on whether Odell will catch it or even put enough effort into attempting to catch it. Because mm-hmm. I, I don't want to say he takes place off, but sometimes I'll say he does not give the full effort that you see other players do when attacking the football to try and catch it. Right, right. No, I mean, he... It's funny because Odell's actually really good in the run game. Like, if you ever watch, watch him block. He's a yeah. really good blocker. Um, I, so, to me, it's a little funny that, I mean, he is so good. And so I, I cannot figure out why, like, against the Ravens or any game last year, he was either being used as a decoy or Baker was force-feeding it to him. But it was never, like, somewhere in the middle. And that's where you want it to be. You want it to be so the team does not feel like they can double Jarvis Landry because mm-hmm. they have to have one guy in the run game and then one guy doubling Odell. And to do that, you need to target Odell somewhere between three to six times every game. And you need to target Jarvis somewhere between three to six times every game. And then you spread the ball around the rest to your tight ends. And just, again, I, I don't really want us running, or I'm sorry, I don't want us throwing more than 20, 25 times a game. Yeah. That's like the sweet spot. Right. And to me, that I, I thought last night was really well called in that in that sense. But the Ravens game was awful. Mm-hmm. And so, I, again, I think Washington will be very interesting. I, I, I live in D.C., and so, to be fair, I don't watch a lot of the Redskins, but everybody I know that does has been saying all summer their defense was going to be better than people gave it credit for because they have a great defensive line. And they have young guys in the secondary that are evidently underrated. So I think it'll be interesting. I'm going in hopeful that the Redskins have a good defense. Because I want to see what we look like against a good defense. Yeah, because, I mean, it, I, you can wonder what they would look like against Baltimore if they use the same game plan throughout. 
and of, right. of course did not incorporate the Freddie Kitchens offense, which right. for some bizarre reason that was still a thing. I just I still don't get that, and uh, it, it's frustrating. But it, you see them play against a good football team using this philosophy, using this offensive attack. I want to see how they succeed against that because, like I said several times, it was the Bengals. That needs to be said. Like right. they, they executed. And it was the Bengals without Geno Atkins. Yes, and Mike Daniels was also hurt. So third right, string defensive right. tackle. So very important um, that that is noted. Right. And people, it's not taking away from what the Browns did. They did what they were supposed to do. They looked good doing it. It's about can they do it against a, a better opponent or perhaps a superior opponent, which will they will see many of them this season. Yep. Right. No, Browns fans. I think we all should be happy with the win last night. Right. Like yeah. it's a win. It's, it's a, win. a win. We saw promising things, but it also doesn't mean the Browns are going to the playoffs. Yeah. The, 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 the complete 180 on the feelings of the Browns between before kickoff and this morning is absolutely hilarious. Um, yep. like I still don't think they're that great of a team. This was the offense I expected. And I'm glad I, I'm glad I saw it. I, I yep. still think they have lots of flaws, lots of holes, and I don't know whether or not they can successfully run this offensive scheme against a better team. Right, and I don't think it's the scheme. I, I think it's the talent, right? Mm-hmm. It's Baker. Uh, honestly, like, all these problems, it comes down to Baker because the offensive line is fixed. Did you read The Ringer had an interview with, or a guy, one of the writers did an interview with Andrew Barry and then wrote an article about it? And I don't know if you saw this or not, but it was, it. it's, a, it's a really good read because it, Andrew Barry basically says, we know the quarterback's the most important position in football, so we're building everything we can to support a quarterback. And then they pressed him on Baker, and he said he wasn't going to talk about it. But to me, what it reads like is they're not committed whatsoever to Baker Mayfield and that they have built a system mm-hmm. where Baker should succeed. They have the talent around him on offense where he should succeed. Like, they do. They do not have many holes on offense. Like, they really don't. Like, the line is really good. The running backs are amazing. They have one of the better fullbacks in the NFL. Harrison Bryant and Austin Hooper are great. Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry are pro bowlers. Like, the only hole they may have on offense is quarterback. I was going to say, if you want to nitpick, maybe right guard, but... like, but that's really just nitpicking. But Teller but looks fine. Teller's right. fine. I mean, like, the way I see yeah. Teller's fine. If, if you have two yeah. competent players around him, he's fine. Yep. Uh, it, right. Exactly. And, and I, I th- do I think eventually somebody like Nick Harris may take – I know they're saying Nick Harris is a center, but do I think he eventually may take over for Teller? Yeah. Maybe not this season, but eventually I do. But, it, right. I mean, overall, there's not many holes. Like, mm-hmm. you can't say – oh, well, we don't have a great red guard, which is why Baker failed. Like, if Baker fails, it's because of Baker. Mm-hmm. A, a and, lot of people were trying to do that all last season with Zeitler being gone. It's because the right guards got, no, it's because Baker played bad. Right, right. Like, come on, guys. Like, it, and you know what? Like, Chris Hubbard is a guy that gets so much criticism. Chris Hubbard's not a bad player. Do you want him as a starting tackle? No. But, I mean, he played phenomenal last night. In the the role that they have him as, and as a backup tackle, and, and you know, spot start, swing tackle, whatever the hell yep. you want to call him, he's perfectly fine. Sixteen games of Chris Hubbard's a little much, but right, you know, but, but one game, you, the occasional maybe play or super heavy package, Chris Hubbard's fine. Right. Well, and like, but the bigger point I'm trying to make is that 
people I, I heard so much last season oh well we had no right side of the line and our left tackle sucked and i'll give them the left tackle greg robinson is awful <laughs> the right side of the line was not good but it also like i don't know it, to me you can't blame baker like or you can't you can blame baker like you can't blame the right side of the offensive line for the offense sucking last year mm-hmm. and I, he doesn't have that excuse this year and so if Baker doesn't look good, they will draft another quarterback next year. And I think that's very clear. This season, if they go 8-8 eight and eight or 9-7, and seven, to me, it means Baker probably played really well. Like, we see w- more of what we saw last night. Mm-hmm. If they do worse than that, I think then you're probably taking a quarterback this year in the draft. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we'll, we'll come back to the record thing in a, in a second, but Andrew Barry not being, we'll say not... He said it without saying it, but he sounded not committal in, in the right. in the the ringer piece. I guess um, I'm glad to hear that, and here's why: the entire off season, this you know, the entire you know, even before the off season and all this other stuff, you know, before you know, off season activities, training camp, people were trying to sell everybody on the fact that Andrew Barry was here when the Browns drafted Baker Mayfield or, you know, he's, he's here. He is part of the process. It's like, he, he turned the pick. No, then it doesn't matter. Right. He didn't make the decision to pick. He may have contributed in one way or another to the decision to draft Baker Mayfield, but it wasn't his draft pick. He wasn't the guy acting like a, you know, a jackass calling him Hey buddy boy, I'm making you the pick, whatever the hell John Dorsey said. But, it wasn't his pick, so you can't... Just because he was in the building doesn't necessarily mean he was for the pick. For all we know, he could have been against the pick for one reason or another. Right, exactly. Exactly. I'm... Exactly. And um, and back to the record thing. Um, this has been somewhat of a, a sticking point, or at least a, a topic of discussion one way or another, is I feel like people are making... Excuses or bailouts for uh, the ultimate record of this season. Um, and I'll explain why. And, and it's mostly because of... This is a, it's a new team, it's a new coach, you know, lots of roster turnover and all this other stuff. But I've... The reality of why Freddie Kitchens and John Dorsey are no longer here, it's because they didn't win. So they have to, in my opinion, win more games than the Browns did last year in order to be successful. If they equal, or I'll even say one more win than what Freddie Kitchens got them, I won't call that a success uh, in terms of on-field success, if you understand what I'm saying. In order for them to be successful, in my mind, they need to win two or more games than Freddie Kitchens did last year. Yeah, I mean, I... I think that for me, if you look at the schedule mm-hmm. and I think both of us, I know, I think I have what we found is I think there's one more win on the schedule than you do, mm-hmm. but I think that's because both of us have questions about this roster. Yeah. Right. And so my baseline is seven and nine. I mm-hmm. think, I think seven and nine is what the record will be. Now, if they do better than that for me, it, it, it means there was some sort of success somewhere on the roster. Mm-hmm. Um, I I personally think eight and eight is. I don't think this roster is substantially better than any other five hundred roster in the NFL. Like 
Like, I really don't. I, I think the defense is horrible, and I think there is a question mark at quarterback. Yes. And I, and so if they do 8-8 eight and eight or better, to me it's a success. Yes. And I, it sounds like you're kind of in the same range. That's I, a, I think 7-9 exactly is, is questionable. Like, it's, it, it depends how they went 7-9. That's right. Fair. If they went 7-9 like they did Baker's rookie year, mm-hmm. I think that is different than if they'd go 7-9 looking like they did last year, except winning one more of these close games. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's very different. Yeah. Um, I think six and ten is a failure. Yes. I, the, the offense is too good to be going six and ten. Mm-hmm. Um, no matter Baker, like if Baker looks that bad, then you put in Case Keenum yeah. because Case Keenum could take this offense to seven and nine. Yeah, absolutely. Just I wanted to get your your read on the whole thing because I see lots. No, of, I, I think I, we're on the same page. It, it's basically they were brought in because the last guys didn't win, and so the expectations are for this front office, this coaching staff, is win. Right. Um, right. It's, I mean, expectations every coaching whatever is to win, but specifically the last guy was fired because they had so much talent on offense and they didn't win. If they don't exceed, in my opinion, two games, so eight and eight, they don't go eight and eight, it's not a success in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. But to me, eight and eight is a Like eight and eight, if that's a record, that's a success. Yes. Because I think that means they overperformed. Now, I know Browns fans are like, no, no, the only success is making the playoffs. Like, I hate to break it to people that think that. Mm-hmm. If this team makes the playoffs, it means Baker not only looks like he did his rookie year, but it means he's even better. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, maybe it happens. I happen to find it highly unlikely that that happens. Yes. There's that or Case Keenum came in. <laughs> right, right, right. And the funny thing for me, if they make the playoffs with Case Keenum... It is a success, obviously. Yes. Right? But at the same time, to me, it doesn't feel like a really rewarding success. Because even if you make the playoffs with Case Keenum, you're probably losing in the first round. Mm-hmm. And then you have to draft another quarterback. Meanwhile, Nick Chubb's going to be up for a new contract. Denzel Ward's going to be up for a new contract. You're going to have to trade Baker. And Miles Garrett's going to be the highest paid slash most overpaid defensive player in the NFL. Uh, I'm sorry, I won't die on. I, I'm dying on this hill. I'm with you. Uh, I'm dying on this hill with the Miles Garrett stuff. Like, all of a sudden, you're drafting a quarterback at a time where you really don't want to have to be drafting a quarterback. Now, they will. They're not. This you can say whatever you want. This front office isn't stupid. Mm-hmm. Like, if they don't have a quarterback, they're going to draft one. It's just, to me, it would mean that the talent is good, right? They made the playoffs with the quarterback. That means the talent really played well. It probably means the defense stayed relatively healthy. But it also means you're not in a great position going forward. Yeah. In a weird way, I would rather go 8-8 eight and eight slash 9-7 and seven with Baker and not make the playoffs than go 9-7-10-6 with Case Keenum and make the playoffs. Yeah. I'm with you on there because with... If that happens, that means they have, uh, one, Baker was successful, and they have a better idea of what they can do, need to do, uh, with 8-8, eight and 9-7 eight, and seven season with Baker Mayfield at quarterback. Um, and that can allow them to use their, their uh, draft picks accordingly, whether it's drafting defense, please, for the love of God, draft defense, uh, or, uh, you know, maybe they trade some of their picks to acquire known commodities. 
Right. Well, and can I actually mention somebody that uh, two guys that I thought played really well last night? All right, go ahead. Um, one is defensive MVP Porter Gustin. Yes. But the and like I I, I say that somewhat obviously jokingly, yeah. but he came in and played really really well. Uh, two is and nobody was talking about this. Jordan Elliott came in and played really well. Mm-hmm. Jordan Elliott had two pressures and a tackle for loss in thirty three snaps. Like, I know that's not great, but for a rookie and his first NFL action, that's pretty impressive to me. Yeah. I mean, they both were uh, influential in how the uh, ultimate outcome of the game. Yeah. And so, I, the, what my point being, I agree they need to draft defense. I really, really hope it's not defensive line. It needs to be linebacker. It needs to be Linebacker safety. or safety. Yeah. Or cornerback, too. Like... Just if they used all however many picks they have on linebackers, secondary, and linebackers in the secondary, I would be totally happy. Maybe draft a few linemen on offense, defense, take a flyer on a late round running back or receiver, but focus on building up what will become your past defense, honestly. Literally just copy what the, you know, the Ravens and Steelers have done in the draft the past 20 years and do that. Well, to be fair, we've tried that a lot of times, and it doesn't end well because we just punt. <laughs> but um, yeah, but, I, but you know what I mean. I, just it, it's yeah. they, they always draft a linebacker, they always draft a defensive back, a running back, right. an offensive lineman, and they they just go on, and those guys become. Well, and like, listen, what they do so well, the draft is luck. Like, I, it is. I know it, there are people that are better drafting than others, but even mm-hmm. the people that are better are not so much better that luck doesn't play a role. And Absolutely. so you have to take a shot at the same position multiple times. And I think one problem the Browns have had my entire life is they'll draft a position, they'll be like, we have the answer. Well, no, <laughs> you don't know that Greedy Williams is the answer cornerback just because you drafted him. Yeah. Like, odds are high that he won't be. So mm-hmm. you've got to draft another, right? You have to take multiple stabs at the same position. Mm-hmm. And I hope this front office does that. I hope they don't go into the draft saying, oh, well, we have Grant Delpit and not draft a safety. Yeah, uh, especially considering the, the injury that Delpit has and the not-so-good yeah. history of recovering from that injury. Right, right. But even in general, right? Like, let's say the injury was he just didn't want to play because of covid Right? Yeah. I still would say that means you don't know what he's offering. So draft another safety. Make them compete. If one wins out, then you can trade the other. Or keep the other for depth. Like, don't do this like, oh, well, we drafted somebody last year, so the hole is filled. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm the looking... Best player on... Go ahead. Uh, go ahead. I was just going to comment uh, on something else. I was going to say, if the best player on the board is a left tackle... Then trade the pick, right? It looks, as long as Jedrick Wills looks this good. Um, if the best player on the board is a quarterback, depends how Baker looks, right? If Baker looked Matt and we went 6, 10, 7, 9, you draft the quarterback. If we went 8, and 8, 9, and 7, regardless if we made the playoffs, then trade the pick. Like, it, to me, it's not difficult. But beyond kind of those types of positions, like, best player is a running back. It'll never be a running back, so don't even worry about that. But, but like any other position, just draft the player. Draft the best player, mm-hmm. preferably on defense. Yeah, so what I did is I looked back at the Steelers' draft history all the way back to 2007. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lawrence Timmons, Lamar Woodley. 
Yep. Then the next year they take another linebacker in Bruce Davis. They did draft Richard Mendenhall that year. Um, yeah. Next year, Evander Hood. Uh, huh. He was meh. Uh, the next year, Jason Worlds. Uh, yep. And Marquise Pouncey were their first two picks. Uh, Thaddeus Gibson in the round four. Keep going. This sounds like a very similar uh, pattern here. Cameron Hayward, Marcus Gilbert. Next year, Dave DeCastro. Same position. Mike Adams, Sean Spence. Then yep. Jarvis Jones, Le'Veon Bell, Ryan Chazier, Stefan Tuitt, Bud Dupree, Artie Burns, Sean Davis. Two corners there. TJ yep. Watt, Terrell Edmonds. It, it, they keep taking shots. Devin Bush. And, uh, same positions yeah. over and over and over again. Al- Alex Highsmith they took this year, but it's it's the same positions over and over again because they know that, <clears throat> one, depth is important, and two, that sometimes you miss. I mean, yeah, uh, Jarvis Jones, miss. Right. But because uh, they drafted another guy at that position, nobody cares about the Jarvis Jones yeah. miss. Uh, Ryan Chazier had a career-ending injury. Right. Stuff like that happens. You can't right. just go... We took that guy. We don't got to worry about that position for the next 10 years. Nope. You might have to draft another one. I think the best drafting strategies always take best player available unless there is such a glaring hole. Mm-hmm. But I think that's what the Steelers do. There are a few years where I think the Steelers have taken for need. But, like, the Devin Bush pick is one of these worlds where he was the best player available. But he was also a huge need. Yeah. And, you know, the, the Steelers' defense is what the Steelers' defense is. It's always, always going to do what it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the Ravens draft the exact same way. If, if They take some bigger swings and sometimes bigger misses on some players, but, you know, when they hit on somebody, holy shit, did they hit on somebody. Well, and it's like the Eagles, too. The Eagles do the exact same thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, think of just this year, they drafted two receivers, I think, in the first four rounds um, because they needed receivers, right? They had nobody. Yeah. They and I remember I think last year the year before they drafted a defensive tackle in one of the first two rounds even though they already had Fletcher Cox mm-hmm. like that's what you do you draft best player available no matter the position and you create depth using the draft and then when you hit on somebody it makes you look like a genius yes but we'll see how this front office handles uh, their draft process their their future. Because we still really don't know what, what, you know, how they're going to handle things. We have an idea. We've seen them do some things, but it's not like they were given something to mold in their own image. There was something relatively formed there already that they can only make slight adjustments to. Right, right. I, I am very, I know this sounds crazy. Like, we, we by the love of God, we have football this season. Mm-hmm. And we're already talking about the off season. So that sounds crazy. We don't even, the Browns may not, I think this is highly, highly unlikely. They may win the rest of their games. They may go 15 and one, <laughs> but, but thinking about the offseason, I'm very interested in what this front office and coaching staff do. Yeah, very I mean, interested. It's, I mean, for, for me, it was just, I, I didn't have high expectations for the season. So it, at the same time, I've always had, you know, my, my foot in the door with the offseason conversations this entire time. So it was always just kind of like, yeah, I wonder what's going to happen then. I wonder how they're going to address that. Um, what, one last thing uh, before we go here. Uh, I, I don't know if you've seen this little uh, shtick I've been doing on Twitter uh, where 
I say what I think they should have done, but then I take a little jab at them saying, but I'm not an Ivy Leaguer. Hmm. <laughs> it's it's mostly, mostly because of how much I had to hear that there's an Ivy League uh, front office and coaching staff all offseason. I found it annoying. I find it annoying, too, because I actually think these guys really know football. Like, I think Kevin Stefanski's really good at what he does, and it has nothing to do with the fact that he went to UPenn. It has he, to do with the fact that he's been on 8 million different coaching staffs over 14 years with the same franchise. Yeah, it, it's it's not about the their ability as, as you know, football minds, but it's just it's fun to, just to jab at it. Oh, yeah. Like, no, no, I know. It was irritating to me, too. It's like, it's like, in the, like, I'm all for great education, but, like, that doesn't seem like why they were doing it. Mm-hmm. Like, if it was, like, see, you, too, can be an athlete and go to, like, a really good school and you shouldn't get, get down on yourself because, like, look at these guys, like, that would have been great. Yeah. But to me, it felt like, oh, by the way, we're really smart because we hired Ivy Leaguers. It's like, no, no, like, these were good hires. Yeah, yeah this is I the... Think, in general, I think they were good hires. Nothing to do with them being Ivy Leaguers. This is the the smartest person in the room thing. Yeah, but it's funny because I don't think Andrew Barry has approached it that way for himself. Like I don't feel he has. He... Um, I think people have represented him ha- as portraying himself right. that way, and it's not authentic to who he is. But it's just something where I've decided to just fight, just not really fight back, oh. but just take oh. jabs at. I'm just like. This was annoying as shit, so when they do something wrong, I'm going to do this. <laughs> right. I mean, like, to me, what the smartest guy in the room thing would have been is if they came in the season and they were saying, well, here's the thing. We know the numbers and we know the passing game is so much more valuable that we're just not going to run the ball. Mm-hmm. Like, that to me would have been the smartest guy in the room thing. Like, that's what Arizona did last year. Um, and I know they won last week kind of doing the same thing. But, like... Think about the Ravens, right? If you want to talk about the best analytics department in the NFL, it's the Baltimore Ravens. Absolutely. By far. Baltimore Ravens, you would have no idea listening to them talk. Like, they're very quiet, very kind of self-assured, but they don't need to advertise this, Mm -hmm. right? They know. And there was a great interview on, I think, Mina Kimes' podcast where she interviewed one of the Ravens analytics people who's a woman. It was a really good interview. Um, But the woman said, like, there's like if you go on NFL Twitter, right, there's kind of a lot of people that say they do analytics that are reading stuff that is not good. Like it, it's bad numbers. Mm-hmm. And she said like so what we do is we just say, OK, we're going to keep to ourselves. Because she said like we know how to use numbers well mm-hmm. and we don't need to advertise that. Yeah, that's. It, a little bit different from what the Browns are doing. I mean, they're not being uh, annoying about it, but at, at the same time, they're not shying away from the fact that they're using it. And I think that, and I think with this particular fan base, it just sort of you know makes it that much more apparent with with right. them. And you know, as we all know, desperation for a winner. So when they do something that they think is good, they're going to just beat it to death. And that's essentially what's happened in six months' time. Right. Um, I think Paul D. Podesta. I like Paul D. Podesta. I'm glad he's part of the organization. I think him having such a public face may be part of the problem. Yeah. If 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 it wasn't Paul D. Podesta, if it was someone, if let's say it was it was, Andrew Barry, let's say Andrew Barry, or just someone who has the ability and knowledge of Paul D. Podesta, but it wasn't him. If it wasn't right. him, if it wasn't the Moneyball guy, 
Okay. Right. It'd be different. I totally agree. That's what my like again. I, I just I don't understand this thing where Paul D. Podesta now needs to be talking to the media every week. Let him stay wherever, like wherever he was, San Francisco or Las, or wherever he was last season. Like that's fine. Let him work behind the scenes. Andrew Barry comes across as much less arrogant to me. Um, he comes across as very well spoken, and he comes across as knowing a lot about football in yes. general, but also knowing about numbers. But for him, I feel like it very much is kind of like the Eagles where he was last year, mm-hmm. which is football still number one. Right or like the Colts, where he had been. Like football is kind of the number one thing, but he does know analytics. He's aware of how they can be used. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's much more refreshing than like Paul D. Podesta coming and answering eight million questions about how they're using numbers. I, I don't want to hear him talk like ever again. It's like like I said earlier. He says a whole lot without actually saying anything, and it's just kind of annoying. And listen, like you know, and I, I keep saying, like I'm a huge numbers guy. I believe in a lot of like the idea that you can use numbers to make better decisions. Yes. Uh, in everything, not just football, and literally everything. Mm-hmm. But to me, it's frustrating that, and I guess this is probably because I'm a numbers guy. It's frustrating to me that it's become like a political topic, right? Like you're either a football guy or you're a numbers guy. To me, that's frustrating, and largely because I think it's both, right? Like I'm doing my PhD. You don't do a totally quantitative PhD, right? If you're doing quantitative, you still need qualitative to really kind of make sure what you're finding is accurate. And to me, like the Paul D. Podesta represents one side. Weirdly enough, John Dorsey represents the other where it's like, you're only going to use one. And it's like, why? Mm-hmm. And why, why are we advertising that we're only using one? We did it with John Dorsey too, by the way, when we hired him, it was like, yeah. Oh, we hired a football guy. Like, why are you saying that? It's stupid. Yeah. It's... I think the more we hear from Andrew Barry and the less of Paul T. Podesta, it'll be the best for everybody. I agree. Totally agree. Andrew Barry has the right balance in his background and, you know, how he approaches things. Paul T. Podesta sounds like his girlfriend's a calculator and that's it. Um, yeah <laughs> yeah uh but that's just a you know personal irritant by me i feel it's just no he, just he's arrogant words. paul he's arrogant and i guess to a certain degree he may have earned the arrogance but like it's it's frustrating right i'd rather somebody go up there and say literally nothing for 20 minutes than somebody go up and be arrogant and talk like they know more about the and maybe they all probably do know more about it but you don't need to flaunt it so question here uh about his arrogance and whether he's earned it uh in his sports career his involvement has produced zero championships isn't that the ultimate goal well yes and no i I, he has not won a title but like to be fair the oakland athletics that is a very weird situation and one of the guys that worked under him broke the curse for the Red Sox. Um, I, I think like his approach in baseball has widely been accepted and then built upon. Mm-hmm. The bigger question is, I am still not sure, because we've seen so much difference just from Sashi Brown to what this team is doing. We, 
I'm not sure what kind of his philosophy is on football. Like, Sashi Brown came in, and the style Hugh Jackson was running was the style that everybody's like, oh, this is, this is analytics. Mm-hmm. And now we're running something totally different that personally I think is more kind of numbers-focused, right? The idea of play action is the best play in football if you can get it to work. Mm-hmm. And so they're, they build an offense to get it to work. Um, but to me, I don't know that he really has a football philosophy. I think he's kind of there to be a face, but I'm still, I'm not sure. Like, I don't know. It's just tough for me because I, I know why Andrew Barry's there, right? Mm -hmm. I can, I mean, look at the draft. It was not Paul DePodesta making those decisions. Mm -hmm. It was Andrew Barry. So, so why is Paul DePodesta still here? Like what is his role in the organization oh i i've said it before and i'll, I'll say it again he's still here because he convinced jimmy Haslam to pay him money to do nothing yeah yeah i mean i i and again i'm not saying like if he's the reason we're do, building this team the way we are great i don't think that's what it is because this feels much more like what the eagles have done or mm-hmm. what the colts have done which are two organizations that definitely use analytics but it does not feel like what Paul D. Podesta has encouraged the Browns to do previously, nor does it feel like any kind of these other, like if you go to PFF, like, yeah, there are things about like PFF rankings where clearly the Browns have players ranked similarly, mm-hmm. but there's also a lot of differences, right? Like PFF did not have Jedrick Wills as the best offensive lineman at that point. They had him as the third or fourth best offensive lineman. Mm-hmm. Uh, PFF had, I think, Jacob Phillips as a, like, do-not-draft candidate. So there are differences. I feel like, and so I I just, to me, it's always very confusing why he's there and why he's not a behind-the-scenes guy. Yeah, he'd be better off just, we never heard from him, and he just did his stuff, and and that's it. Uh, You brought up Sashi Brown, and he's one of the, like, hottest debatable topics when it comes to the Browns in the past five years or so. Some people champion him. I do not. Uh, I think he made moves that were good, specifically one, which is the Brock Osweiler trade. I do not think he was ready to be an NFL GM. I don't think so either. Um... His drafting was horrible. Yeah, it was it was bad. Very bad. It, it was horrible. Like, you can say all you want. Like, it, he drafted a defensive tackle that was terrible, right? That was his first first-round pick. He drafted... Who was after... Uh, I, I don't even remember. None of these first-round picks. Hit. Corey Coleman was the first one oh. of his picks. Like, these were not smart picks. See. So I don't buy for a second. I guess he drafted Kirksey in like the third round, and that was a good pick. But I just he was not ready to be a GM. Now maybe he was told to just completely tank. I don't I also don't believe that. I don't think Jimmy Haslam wanted an 0 16 team. No, I can tell you right now he did oh oh here's why he's only for champion and he drafted fucking Richard Higgins. Uh <laughs> uh, 
but this first ref, abysmal. Uh, Corey Coleman, Emmanuel Agba, Carl Nassib, Sean Coleman, Cody Kessler, Joe Schobert, Ricardo Lewis, Derek Kindred, Seth DeValve, Jordan Payton, Spencer Drango, Richard Higgins, Trey Caldwell, Scooby Wright. Oof. Oof. Uh, Oof. Joe Schobert's the best player from that class? Yeah, by far. And I know you're not big on Joe Schobert, so that's... I guess something, but Emmanuel Agba was yikes. So there's a guy who does Browns backer, who goes to the same Browns backers I do. Yeah. And for years, he would say, and I think he was right, like, we need to move on from Agba. And there was always, like, one or two people in the Browns backers room that would say, no, because he seals the edge. If I have to hear somebody seals the edge one more time, I'm going to drill a hole in my head. Like, <laughs> Agba was so overrated. And... Yeah, he 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 wasn't very good. Um, and it it caused problems. Um, the 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 second draft of theirs wasn't great either. Uh, looking at this, let's see, uh, Miles Garrett, great, easily the best player in the, in the draft class, but. Here's where we go again. Oh, of course, this guy was drafted by him. David Njoku. Wait, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. I want to go back for a second. Miles Garrett was not the right pick. Name the quarterbacks who went after Miles Garrett. Uh, Mitchell Trubisky. Okay. Uh, Patrick Mahomes. Sean Watson. Oh, okay. Okay, oh, oh. So so you're so, telling me we, dra- we, we drafted a pass rusher instead of Patrick Mahomes or Deshaun Watson. Okay, now hold on. We had the 12th pick, which Deshaun Watson was taken with. They could have drafted Patrick Mahomes they wanted to if they would have traded with Buffalo to trade up. But instead, they decided to trade back to take Jabril Peppers, who was somebody I didn't want in the first place. Same thing with trading up to get Njoku when they could have had T.J. Watt, who went one pick later. Yep. I, I, that draft, everybody's like, oh, well, he got us Miles Garrett. No, I'm sorry. Miles Garrett is a overpaid overrated pass rusher and even if miles garrett was khalil mack you take patrick mahomes or deshaun watson over khalil mack 10 times out of 10 mm-hmm. yeah any smart team does yeah but all i'm saying is that they had the 12th pick they had the ability the uh, the option yep. to take watson or mahomes they didn't right no it, he was an atrocious drafter he deserved to be fired like he did so did hugh jackson but he was terrible. Well, let's let's look at the rest of this draft here because this is this is fun. Uh, <laughs> this is always fun. Come on, um, sort by team. <laughs> let's see, Jabril Peppers, Najoku, Deshaun Kaiser, oof, oof. Larry Oak and Joby, Howard Wilson, Roderick Johnson, Caleb Brantley, Zane Gonzalez. They drafted a kicker, Matthew Days. I have to say, I think Larry Ogunjobi may have been Sashi Brown's best draft pick. He was second or third round pick. Third round. Starting defensive tackle for four years. That may have been his best pick. Then we we move on to no more Sashi, on to buddy boy John Dorsey. Mayfield, Ward, Austin Corbett, Nick Chubb. Chad Thomas, Antonio Callaway, Jannard Avery, Damian Ratley, Simeon Thomas. So, in that, 
I think the two Garrett, like Ward and Chubb, have been good picks. Yes. Baker is a question mark at best, and everybody else was a flop. Yeah. I mean, some where he drafted them, it was okay. Like, Jernard Avery made some contributions for being a fifth-round pick. Yeah. Ratley is Ratley. He's a reserve yeah. wide receiver. Yep. Callaway, I understood the reasoning behind they took him. He's a talented player. Off the field issues, blah, 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 blah. Josh Gordon. He was basically worse Josh Gordon. Uh, yep. Chad Thomas, a.k.a. Major 9, never understood that pick. Never have, never will, never going to. Yep. Nope. Um, but I want to get your take on something. Um, so I was listening to, I don't know what your feelings towards Mike Lombardi is, but I was listening to his podcast talking about this this specific draft. And what the Browns did and what they should have done. Mm-hmm. He said the Browns should have taken Bradley Chubb and either Quentin Nelson or um, who else was there? I don't remember. I don't remember who we had. It was Quentin Nelson or somebody else at four. Mm-hmm. Then did what the Ravens did and traded up to the end of the first round to get Lamar Jackson. Yeah, I mean, it's easy to say that. It's easy to say in hindsight. Now, to be fair, he did say that's what the Browns should have done three years ago. Okay, and I also worry that Lamar Jackson would not be successful here. I I don't think Lamar Jackson... Like, I think Lamar Jackson may be a backup in the NFL right now if he were drafted by the Browns. That's fair, because the coach was Hugh Jackson, so... Or Freddie Kitchens, or Greg Willett. Like, I don't think he would have... I think he would be on a different team right now. That's that's very possible, but he, he's mainly speaking from a roster building standpoint, where the players are now. And he, yeah, I mean, essentially, essentially confirming what he said a couple years ago, saying yeah. I would have done this if I were the Browns, and being like, "Hey, I said this a couple years ago, and where are we now?" Yeah, I mean, I disagree with Bradley Chubb. Um, just I, I, I don't. I'm not a huge Bradley Chubb fan. Uh, I, I know he was injured all last year, but even his rookie year was it was fine. I, both healthy, Denzel Ward has been the better player. Mm-hmm. Um, I think... So, my view is, if there's a quarterback you think has potential at number one overall to be, or anywhere, if you think a quarterback has realistic potential to be a franchise-changing quarterback, you draft him. It's why I actually don't go after the Bears too hard about that trade-up to grab Mitchell Trubisky. <laughs> Do I, I think the process was fine. I think they probably gave up too much in the trade. Mm-hmm. But they had a guy they identified as that type of quarterback, and they draft him. I think that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. I do think where Lombardi is right is at number four. And I love Denzel Ward. Mm-hmm. They should have taken Quentin Nelson. Because when you draft a quarterback, you want to build around him. You want to build a team of really good offensive linemen, good receivers, etc. So I would have been good with that pick. I also would have been good with trading up and like using the pick you used to take Corbett and the pick the later pick. Yeah. And trading up and drafting a receiver or drafting a left tackle. So anything like that. And then I still think value for Chubb in the second round was enormous. Yes. Just absolutely. because the idea would, like Chubb would have been the first running back taken even ahead of Saquon Barkley had he been able to stay healthy in college. Mm-hmm. Like People forget, like, healthy Chubb was one of the best college running backs we've ever seen. 
And for the Browns, it was kind of like, that's great value. Like, he busts worst case of his second-round pick. But I think Lombardi is right insofar as they misprioritized what they needed to draft. Mm-hmm. So I think he's right there. I also think, like, the end of that draft, uh, basically after the Chubb pick, was just there was no roster-building kind of vision going on there. They were just drafting players. They were drafting for the sake of drafting. We have a pick, let's make a player. That's essentially right. what it was. I mean, Right, I mean, it's better than not making the pick at all, but <laughs> it's about as bad as you can get. Yeah, and, and the the less said about 2019's draft, the better. Uh... It was awful. I mean, Greedy Williams had a few good games last season, but... One, he's got to stay healthy. Two, he's got to do that throughout an entire season. He's got to play good games. Yeah, looking at this, Greedy Williams, Sione Takitaki, Sheldrick Ugh. Redwine, Ugh. Mac Wilson. You didn't even get on the field yesterday. Austin. We were. Wait, wait, sorry, hold on. We were treading out Andrew Sandejo instead of Sheldrick Redwine. That should tell you how bad he is. Yeah. Austin Seibert, Drew Forbes, Donnie Lewis. So Drew Forbes is still a question mark. He's uh, a sixth-round tackle, and they actively yeah. found other ones. I mean, this guy's just... He's, he's yeah. bench. He'll be, what he is. At best, he'll be a squad guy. Like He'll be a guy that gets in when somebody's hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that was a terrible draft. Even if Greedy Williams hits, right? Even if Greedy Williams is your starter opposite Denzel Ward and, like, positive starter, it was a terrible draft. Oof, that was terrible. Yeah, no, we have not had a good draft in like five years. The reason where we are where we are now it's is I think... They, well, it, well, it's bad drafting, but I also think like Chubb was luck. And they've done... They've gotten good players through trades. And then they didn't like get rid of many guys that were already good. Um, That's the only reason we have the talent we do. And people are even talking to us going 7-9 or 8-8. I mean, it wasn't good drafting. No. It's atrocious drafting is what this is. Um, see if there's any... How did we not draft Deshaun Watson at 12? <clears throat> Do you want... He was so good. Everybody knew he was so good. There was not one... There was not one football guy one analytics guy or anybody in between that was like deshaun watson may be good he may not be everybody knew deshaun watson was going to be good because we wanted to trade down for more draft picks which is fine if there's not a franchise quarterback available and like i'm not saying this is like a oh well you never know when there's a franchise no everybody knew deshaun watson was a franchise quarterback everybody knew we could have drafted him at one, and I would have been happy. And I don't buy that Miles Garrett was the best player in that draft. I don't. A pass rusher like with two moves, no matter how dominant he is, is never the best player in a draft. Let's see. Let's look at the rest of this first round. Uh, Trubisky, Solomon Thomas, Leonard Fournette, Corey Davis. That's just a three-way of oof. Jamal yeah. Adams, Mike Williams, Christian McCaffrey. John Ross, yeah. Patrick Mahomes, Marshawn Lattimore, Trump. Even if they would took Marshawn Lattimore, I would have been happy. At, at, yeah. At, you know, at where they were. Fight the pass game. But 
we got Jabril Peppers, who I knew they were going to fucking draft like six months ahead of time. Oh, I really knew they were. I, I actually think Jabril Peppers will end up, if it's Jets or wherever Greg Williams is next, and will <laughs> have a career in that type of defense, like that cover two, where he could be a linebacker or a safety and the defense doesn't really know, or the offense doesn't really know. Um, but you don't draft, I don't think you draft him in the first round. No. He's he, a second, third round, probably a third round talent. He's a, he's a guy who would probably have a solid career when it's all said and done. Right. But you don't draft him 17 overall. You, but you don't trade down from a spot to take a quarterback to take Jabril Peppers. But it's also not just a quarterback. It was Deshaun Watson. <laughs> Yeah, like, and, and like I said, maybe they could have even traded up to get the Buffalo pick and take Patrick Mahomes. And listen, Patrick Mahomes, there was a lot of question marks. I, I, I can excuse that. Uh, but yes, they could have taken Patrick Mahomes. They could have taken Patrick Mahomes number one. Mm-hmm. I have no idea. And I know Patrick Mahomes is obviously better than Deshaun Watson. I think Deshaun Watson may end up as after, like, as Russell Wilson starts aging. I think Deshaun Watson may be the second-best quarterback in the NFL. Right now, I think he's already a top-five quarterback in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And maybe people didn't know he was going to be this good, but everybody knew Deshaun Watson was going to be good. He was the obvious pick. Like, this was the definition of outsmarting the room. We thought we were the smartest guys in the room. Unbelievable to me. <laughs> Unbelievable. It, it, it all comes back to quality over quantity. They were focused on quantity instead of quality. Right, and again, like what we said earlier, there's a way to mix it, right? Steelers, Ravens. So quantity is great if you're focusing in certain kind of broad thematic themes. Thematic themes, that was stupid. But a broad kind of strategy, right? And that means you don't draft a kicker in the fifth round. It means you draft... uh, the same position you drafted in the first round, right? And one of them will hit, and the other will be depth. Or one of them will suck, and one of them will be depth. But you have at least coverage, right? And we didn't do that. And at 12 overall, so so the answer was Deshaun Watson or Jabril Peppers plus whatever person we took with the pick we got, other pick we got. Like... <clears throat> It's Desha- it is a franchise quarterback. <laughs> the most important position, probably in all of sports. You don't trade back and take a safety. I agree. It's frustrating. I mean, that's frustrating. That, yeah. that it is just it is bad strategy. And it starts up top.